welcoming to True Devotion to Mary on members supported Restoration Radio. I am your host, Alexander Krasik, and I am joined by our guest, Father Herman Fleece, professor at Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida. Welcome to the show, Father. Hello. In this episode, we will continue our study of the book True Devotion to Mary by St. Louis de Montfort. And in this episode, we will cover part two, chapter three, which is entitled Wonderful Effects of This Devotion. St. Louis tells us that if we are faithful to the interior and exterior practices of this devotion, several effects will take place in our souls. The first effect takes us right back to a topic we've talked about a bit, namely that of dying to self. And the first effect is to have a knowledge and contempt of self. It's quite important to have this knowledge of what and how we truly are, not as our self-pride would want us to believe, And in fact, the first week of preparation of this concentration is devoted to this topic. Yes, and uh, again, um, we can say wisdom of the same. He put this first, and rightly so, because the essentially humility, and he speaks about this, I think, somewhere place also, that humility is the basis of the spiritual life. So it is just like, like a building. You need to go deep down and take away earth, etc. So you dig down and then only then you can start building up. So essentially the effects of this devotion is the first one has to be that it makes us know essentially our misery, etc. And that's true humility. And uh, so he speaks about contempt of self and know our true misery and all the rest, which is essentially see ourselves as we are. So that's humility. So then that's doing the foundation, and in that you might say um, hole on the ground, that is like a foundation of just like in building, then the other effects uh, will come, the effects of grace, and then the, the edifice that grace will build will come from that, but it has to be built upon a foundation, and that's uh, self-knowledge. So, um, and again, the point of this devotion, actually I think it's important to remark it, is that the in this true devotion, if we are faithful to the practices, uh, we are not speaking about a humility that will be lip service, oh yeah, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, and then really not believing it. Mm-hmm. But this is what he's, the idea of the saint is that Our Lady, if we want to follow our Lord, then Our Lady will lead us through the only way, which is humility. So she will make us know, essentially by the light of the Holy Ghost, that we are truly uh, you know, worthless, etc. And uh, that's the first step in the spiritual life. Secondly, we shall participate in Mary's faith. Our Blessed Lady, our dear Mother, had the greatest of all faiths that ever were on earth, and which will enable us to act by pure faith in what we do. Can you tell us a bit more about what this means and about her beautiful faith, which St. Louis so eloquently describes, Father? Yes, obviously, Our Lady had um, all the virtues in the, in the highest degree, um, obviously after our Lord, but... Our Lord himself didn't have faith because, well, he is God, and also he always had the beatific vision. So our Lord did not have the virtue of faith. So in the case of faith, <laughs> our Lady had the highest in the, in the strictest sense. And uh, yes, obviously faith is the foundation of the supernatural life. That is like the requirement, absolute requirement. And then um, our Lady had the greatest one, and we can see that in many passages uh, the saint actually makes a comparison or an allusion to Abraham. So Abraham is the father of all the believers because of his huge faith, as we know from um, when God demanded from him that he should slay his son, Isaac. 
So he showed an, an immense faith there and that he, he became the father of believers. But our lady had a faith much greater even than that of Abraham and, um, and that really any of the patriarchs or saints. So uh, the idea of the saint is that she having had the greatest of, of faith, uh, he says that is faith in the highest degree, then in the plan of providence, she's the one who helps us or obtain for us from God to have a strong faith ourselves. Obviously, there won't be no, no comparison to the one of our lady, but she will give us a strong, a lively faith at any case. It can always increase, but she will give us a lively one. And um, that's, he says, essentially part of the, you might say, the mission of our lady is to make us have lively faith. The third effect is a deliverance from scruples, cares and fears, so that we may be guided by love in all our dealings with our Heavenly Father. Yes, I think we spoke about this, and, but again, it cannot be emphasized enough. The uh, scruples and, and unnecessary worries and all the rest which are kind of connected, they're one of the greatest obstacles really in the spiritual life, at least for perfection. That is, um, certainly one can... Uh, keep oneself in the set of grace and be more or less afraid to these things. But really for, you might say, the blooming of the spiritual life, etc., is very important, uh, these things. So I think the saint is right in, in pointing this out. That is the, the spirit of fear, of pure servant fear in everything, etc., essentially is not the, the spirit that our Lord wants. And uh, he wants that we have... Um, a filial spirit, that is, we are the children of God and then that we should serve him with more confidence, etc., and all the rest. But that's, that's very important in the spiritual life, so it's not merely a question of, you might say, temperament or sentiment or anything like that. Yes, people have different temperaments, but here we're speaking about something spiritual, the spiritual attitude. And uh, so he says this devotion essentially removes this, this problem of scruples and over uh, over worrying um, spiritually and, and all the rest. And uh, because why he, uh, he gives us confidence in Our Lady, she's our mother, and then we start losing a bit of that and we have even more confidence in God. Yes, we are sinners, yes, but our Lord knows our, our weakness and then Our Lady helps us and whatnot. And that essentially, um, you might say, enlarges the soul and makes us advance faster as Our Lord uh, wants. Our Lord doesn't want that we essentially torture ourselves because of our misses and whatnot. He wants us to be humble, and that we have to be. So we have to be humble, but one thing is to be humble, another thing is to be, um, you know, uh, not to have good spirits and to be cast down and whatnot. That comes from the devil. So this devotion frees us from that. Therefore, he, it frees us from one of the more common and worse um, obstacles to, you might say, full development of a spiritual life. So it's like the transition from not wanting to sin because you don't want to go to hell to not wanting to sin because you love God and you don't want to offend Him. Well, yeah, the, in that case, yes, that would be a, certainly a much greater, uh, a much greater or much purer motive. And uh, yes, there is a sort of gradation. And um, yes, it has to be purified, essentially. And again, it's fine. Uh, everything has its step, right? So the conversion starts usually with more a um, strong um, realization of the fear of the Lord, which is excellent and it's the beginning of wisdom. And it's never, it never uh, dies, we should always keep it. But we should essentially, you might say, temper that uh, holy and blessed fear of God 
wind also great confidence in him if we see his goodness. So as you say, we will start without obviously forgetting altogether the other aspect. We will start seeing a little more the the aspect of yes to please God and then and to serve Him because of love and so forth. That's more perfect, and we should uh, go there. So uh, yeah, I think that's a good point. And in order to reach that more of that I must say spirit, which is more perfect we need to remove these scruples and, and whatnot, and that's what this devotion does. Fourthly, we shall be filled with a great confidence in God and Mary, so that we may say with St. Bonaventure, O glorious Virgin, blessed above all created things, I will put you as a seal upon my heart, because your love is as strong as death. From whence does this great confidence arise within us, according to St. Louis? Well, the saint essentially uh, puts it in this way that before uh, essentially we embark in this devotion, we have confidence in ourselves, right? Even might be subtle or imperceptible, but we are trusting ourselves and our, our own powers and so forth. And uh, but with this devotion, we saw that the first effect was that it makes us know our misery. Therefore, we start distrusting ourselves because we know ourselves better. There's no reason to trust in something that is weak, etc. But on the other side, it increases the, uh, that makes us increase the confidence in God and our idea. It's less we trust ourselves, the more we are induced to essentially give ourselves with more confidence and abandonment to God and to our Lady. For one thing, because we know that we need help. Um, so then it gives us more uh, a sense of giving ourselves with more confidence to our Lady and our Lord as opposed to trusting ourselves. So I think that's uh, that's part of the of the reason. And again, another part, uh, another reason is that by this devotion, we essentially experience more intensely, more vividly, the, essentially the power of our Lady in helping us and whatnot, and also that increases our confidence in her. So I think those are probably two of the main reasons why it is increased. The fifth effect will be the communication of the soul and spirit of Mary to us. As St. Ambrose said, that the soul of Mary be, be in each of us to glorify the Lord, that the spirit of Mary be in each of us to rejoice in God. Yes. Here I would like to remark that this in the broad sense, uh, this is not restricted to anything uh, strictly mystical. That is, we, we might hear, okay, let the spirit of Mary be in each of us, and we say, well, this is really, really mystical and high, and it might be, you know, about myself at least for now. But actually, no, the, the sense is um, the spirit of Our Lady means, at least in the, in the initial stages, means that uh, to have the spirit of someone is to have that person's um, outlooks and uh, thoughts and dispositions and ways of acting and, and valuing things, etc. It has to have someone's spirit. So we say that whatever the uh, the Dominicans, the early Dominicans had the spirit of Saint Dominic. That is, they acted and thought and acted according to his way. So in the case of Our Lady, um, that's not something mystical. That is, any any soul in any stage can have that. That is, he will have the spirit of Mary. That is, he will start seeing life as God sees it and as Our Lady sees it, you know, what is the important thing? We spoke about that, eternal salvation and whatnot, and then the, 
the important thing is to serve God and, and so forth and so on. That's the spirit of Our Lady. And one can have that without any uh, mystical grace, essentially. It's more the... Um, it's not something mystical, but more the the um, for any stage of the spiritual life. And then, naturally, yes, if someone is more advanced in the spiritual life, that can become more, let's yes. say, elevated. But uh, I would like to point that uh, that's not the the meaning of it. It has a broader range. There's a statement made in this part which would probably be prudent to clarify for our listeners, Father. St. Louis quotes another person saying, quote, Ah, when will the happy time come when the Divine Mary will be established mistress and queen of all hearts, in order that she may subject them fully to the empire of her great and holy Jesus? Unquote. The phrase Divine Mary may draw some questions into the minds of our listeners. Could you clarify this for us, Father? Yes. So, um, well, the word divine is used in two completely different senses. So the first uh, in the first sense, he said this, divine means in the first uh, usage, having the divine nature. So obviously this sense applies only to God, the creator and Lord of all, and then to any of the three divine persons. Okay, but then divine has also a second sense, which is completely different, which means simply of God. So divine of God. So for example, we speak like at, after benediction and whatnot, we speak about the divine praises. Now, obviously, the praising that we are doing is not something divine. Obviously, it means divine means of God, the praises of God, divine of God. So those are the praises of God. And then in this same sense, uh, the saints use, uh, use the word divine for a word that is the divine mother. You just replace divine for of God and therefore the mother of God. Uh, that's obviously the only sense in which they meant and really... Um, the only sense in which it uh, can be uh, construed. I mean, it's obvious that that uh, is the sense. And then, um, and you will see, you will see in the saints, like St. Alphonse is also speaking about Our Lady in those terms, that is, O Divine Mother, meaning O Mother of God, um, which is perfectly, in itself, is perfectly right and correct because that's one of the senses of the adjective divine. Um, just like we say also, for example, divine office and and all the rest uh, of God. Now, uh, I will say two practical things regarding this. I will say, well, the first, as St. Louis says, we shouldn't have uh, be um, scrupulous devotees of our lady. Oh, no, you know, they say divine and only God is divine. Obviously, I mean, even children know that from the catechism, that only God is divine in the strict sense. So there's no danger to the soul or anything like that. It's uh, pretty much common sense, every Christian knows it. So don't be scrupulous, I mean, I speak to our listeners about that stuff. The important thing is not the words, but the meaning. The meaning obviously means of God, Divine Mother, Mother of God, we know it, that's how they meant it. So there's no, you know, there's no problem. And one shouldn't be barred from reading books or whatever, because, um, again, because we know the sense and then there's no problem if, if we understand it right. And then that said, I will say um, that uh, in my opinion, now is advisable because of um, people are, you know, for the weakness of people and maybe some, in some cases, uh, ignorance. And in order to avoid some admiration or people who might be weaker uh, as far as their faith or their, their knowledge of religion, I think it's advisable to abstain from saying, like nowadays, 
you know, the Divine Mother, because again, some people are either ignorant or they might have a bit of uh, uh, scruples, etc. So it's good to remove that occasion, so just in charity. So I will say Mother of God, and I will never say personally, I mean, unless I'm quoting the saint or whatever, I would rather say Mother of God, simply because it can be misunderstood by the weak and the, and the ignorant. But one thing is not to use it oneself, and another thing is to be, you know, have scruples when a saint uses it, because he uses it in, the, in a sense which is obvious. And it was also more common then, because people knew, I think, more, and then they wouldn't essentially scruple about it because they knew the sense was so obvious and they didn't care really for the word. But again, I would say now, Mother of God as opposed to Divine Mother, but again, they mean the same. The sixth effect is the transformation of the faithful soul by Mary into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Our saint gives us a beautiful analogy comparing a statue made by a mold to one by a sculpture. Yes, this one is, uh, I think it's one of the most beautiful points or insights of, of the book. Um, which is yes, the analogy of the sculpture. So essentially what the saint says is if somebody wants, he, he uses this figure, somebody um, wanting to make a statue of our Lord, so he, he takes, the, he says there are two ways to do it. One is to take a stone and then to chisel out, you know, stone, pieces of stone, etc., until you get a figure that looks like our Lord. That's the way number one. And then the second, the second one is the one of casting the melted iron in a mold. So what he says is the first method of chiseling is like a general way or the other ways of the spiritual life that are more difficult than the one of, we are seeing now of, of a true devotion. Uh, in the, and he says, the, essentially he says that mode it's, in itself it's, you can, in principle, get the, the same result, but it's much more difficult. It's much more difficult because any mistake you pay dearly and sometimes the whole work is spoiled and it takes a lot, obviously, of skill, etc. And it's a very good analogy because imagine doing that is very possible, but you have to be super skilled and it's extremely difficult. And the, one of the other, he says, if the mold is perfect, then the, on the part of the, the person who does the statue is easy. So he just pours the content and then as long as the mold is, is right, etc., then the image will come out perfect. So essentially the analogy there is the easiness of the method. And I think the, the analogy is, um, is very good. St. Louis gives us a little reminder, and we were talking a little bit about this earlier with um, humility and foundation in the analogy of the house, that we cast only into a mold that which is melted in liquid. That is that we must destroy, melt down, and ourselves the old Adam to become the new one in Mary. Yes, and I think, yes, it is very good uh, that you remark this because you see there can be a bit of, a, let's say, a romantic way to see it or like a, a kind of a delusion, say, oh yes, well, I give all myself to Our Lady and then I will be, you know, uh, uh, transformed into Our Lord, etc., which is all very true. But the saint really <laughs> very sharply remarks that, yes, that's how it's supposed to be, but you need that, as you say, that the, that the metal be, be melted. Otherwise, it won't take the form. So, uh, so the idea being that, well, the mold will do the work, that is, Our Lady will shape us spiritually into Our Lord, but 
we need to do something on our part, you see? And then on our part is, as we spoke before, this method is easier, much easier, incomparably so, but we have to do on our part. Our Lord always wants our cooperation in the work of sanctification. So something we have to do. Our Lady will shape us, but we have to do on our part. And that part is to be essentially melted down, and that means essentially being malleable or, or docile, so that our lady can fulfill her part and make us similar to our Lord. So, and then being practical, what it means is we have to um, essentially, well, break our own self-will. That is, we have to, if we have our own will, then we are doing more like the chiseling thing. We are not doing the, so we don't allow the work to go uh, smoothly. So, and that is actually easy because it's something aesthetical and the books tell you exactly how it can be done. So there is no, it's not something mysterious or no mystical in the strict senses. Okay, I have to mortify my will. Okay, then I have to obey. I have to, you know, to have constancy and to, you know, keep the laws, you know, the different laws, of, um, well, obviously of the church and of the commandments, but then the other uh, things. So that's very, you might say, tangible. And that we are demanding that is we have to give up our own will. And then once we do that, then, okay, we left our own will, so we are not chiseling, and then, only then, we are leaving our ladies, like the metaphor is the, the metal is liquid, and then our lady can shape us, you know, in a more perfect way, and even in a mystical way, in the highest way, to our Lord, but that can happen unless we, we give our self-will. So I think that's, uh, that's the point there. So it's negative, you might say, it's a negative preparation. But again, I think it's, in a way, it's encouraging because we are not asked to, you know, do something that you might say, how do I do it? You know, something mystical or obscure, you know, that say, well, I don't know how to do that. You see, when, they, when we are asked to just give your own will and um, give it up and then Our Lady will take care of the rest of the second step, you might say, well, that we can say because, well, yes, I know what is the will of my superior or of my... Well, the case of children, my parents or my superiors or my boss, etc. I cannot say, well, I just don't know what, what I am asked to do. That's very simple. And if we do that, then Our Lady will do the rest. The seventh and final effect is that it will bring about the greater glory of God. Quote, By this practice, faithfully observed, you will give Jesus more glory in a month than by any other practice, however difficult, in many years. Unquote. And he gives us numerous reasons to support this. Can you tell us a bit about these, Father? Yes. Well, um, if I recall, let me see if I find the place. The one I recall uh, of the calf that he gives us a reason is that Our Lady gives, if we do things through Our Lady, gives, uh, they give more glory to God because of the, essentially, how, uh, how much Our Lady places God. That is, on this earth, Our Lady... Uh, would do something very simple in itself, like sowing, for example, or preparing the food for the Holy Family. And that gave much more glory to God than even the martyrs being tortured for the faith. Even though, obviously, the deeds were much greater, and Our Lady was only cooking something or sowing something, but how much an action pleases our Lord is the degree of the charity from which it comes. So in the case of Our Lady, that's was supreme, essentially, the highest one that a pure creature ever had. And then 
That is why her actions were so pleasing to God. And then, now that she is in heaven, it works more or less like this, that we do something ourselves here on this earth that is of itself not very great, actually quite small, but we give it to Our Lady, and then Our Lady presents it through her hands to God, and then God sees more the hands of Our Lady through which he receives it than the thing itself. So it might be little in Stephanie. I don't know if it's here that he uses the example of the of the apple, but that's a thought of a saying that a peasant gives wants to give a gift to the king, but he has nothing else but an apple, and that even has a worm and it's rotten. So uh, that's essentially in itself is worthless. So he gives it to the queen. The queen takes away the rotten part of the apple, and then she puts it in a tray of uh, silver or of gold, and then she makes it nice, etc. And then the most important thing is that she gives it to the king. And then the king sees the queen, and he's uh, pleased, not because of the apple, but because of the, not so much, but because of the queen who gives her. So the saint does give that uh, thought, and I think it's in this part of the book. But I think that, though, is the, in substance the, the teaching of the saint. The value is increased because it comes to God through Our Lady. While the show was in the planning phase, a friend of mine happened to propose a question in reference to something St. Louis said in this chapter, which I thought would be beneficial for our listeners. His question comes out of this passage, quote, because doing your actions by our Blessed Lady, as this practice teaches you, you abandon your own intentions and operations, although good and known, to lose yourself, so to speak, in the intentions of the Blessed Virgin, although they are unknown, unquote. So from this he asked the question that when we pray, is it better than to forget our own intentions and just pray for those of Our Lady? Uh, it's a good question. And um, I would say, and I have read authors also who speak about this devotion, that uh, not really, not really. Why? Because for many reasons. One is that uh, in God essentially um, gives us um, you know, for one thing, our bodies and then our soul, our will, our intellect. And when God gives a faculty, etc., he wants us to use it. And uh, so he wants that we essentially think and illumine by faith, certainly, but that we use our reason, we consider the needs of our neighbor, etc. So we have to use that because God gave it and he wants us to use it. So Our Lady won't be in any way against that, you might say, order of providence and of nature. That's one reason. And then the other reason is that the idea really is um, because we don't see what is the intention of God in, in many cases anyway. Sometimes it will be clear like the commandments and whatnot, but we're not speaking about that. Uh, we are speaking about, for example, okay, I have some money to give an alms, so to whom I will give it, right? That kind of thing, or to whom I will pray. So... Um, we don't see the intention of our Lord or of our Lady. Therefore, we, uh, the idea is we have to use the means natural and, and supernatural that God gave us and our Lady wants us to use, always according to the will of her Son, to think, well, who might be in need of my prayers or to whom I am indebted to pray and for what intention. And we do that. And the, the key or the the way in which we save this aspect actually quite truly is that having done that to our best, the best of our knowledge, we leave all the matter to our lady. That is, I pray uh, to just give you an example. Um, 
I hear that my brother or whoever it is uh, is having an extremely difficult surgery or whatever. So then charity will move me and even um, recently illumined by faith to pray for him, for that need. And it will be wrong to say, well, I don't really know. No, I should because I heard about it and he's close to me and I have to, you know, I would like to like, somebody pray for me if I were in his shoes. So then you see, mm-hmm. so then I have to pray for him. And then now if Our Lady wants to use that prayer instead of for that person, for another, because she knows better something in, as she says, in God, then we leave that to her. But we cannot see that. So we have to do our best on our side. And that abandonment and whatnot is left on that second uh, stage. And uh, so when we pray in the practical order, it shouldn't be, at least not ordinarily, well, uh, we pray to our Lady and we say, I just pray for your intentions or whatever. It, it is fine to do it sometimes, but it shouldn't be always like that. And also when we pray for some particular end, uh, first, it can be our duty, like in uh, many cases, like let's say one of our parents die, then we are actually bound to pray for them. We cannot just pray in general and see, because in that case, a uh, duty of piety binds us to pray particularly for them, you see? And then we uh, we leave it to Our Lady as to if she wants to apply it to someone else and, and whatnot. That's a kind of a part of the abandonment. And um, yes, I think those will be the thoughts there. Well, that brings us to the end of our episode then. Is there anything else you would like to add in summary before we close out this episode, Father? Um, no, I think we we covered all that was um, intended and then uh, no, I think it's a good time to round up. Well, Father, thank you for your time. We will talk to you again next time as we continue this series. Thank you very much. God bless you.